Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. 
We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at Thumbprint Detroit. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of November, St. Evans is supporting Native Women Lead, an organization dedicated to revolutionizing systems and inspiring innovation by investing in Native women in business and leadership. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand dyed yarns and thoughtfully made notions. 
slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that just is not ashamed to care about things. I'm a proud carer. <laughs> and I'm your host, Amanda. This is episode 105. Some people might say 105. That's a lot of work, but pick your lane. Friends, we've reached the time of year when I must start recording while wrapped in a pink and red crocheted blanket. So for the rest of the year, when you hear me talking, just assume I'm swaddled in yarn possibly wearing a jacket because that's how cold my office slash studio is here in bird in hand. We're working on it. I don't know if it's going to get there. <laughs> my guest for today's episode is Lisa, the founder of the gem app. I know some of you are familiar with this. We've talked about it a little bit in the clothes horsing around Facebook group. If you aren't familiar with gem, You've got to get on it because it's a search engine that allows you to search millions of products from thousands of online stores all at once. And it can help you find that specific piece of vintage clothing you're looking for, which I mean, you all know I'm preaching to the choir here. There are so many places to shop for secondhand online that it could be a part-time job tracking down what you need or what you're looking for. So Gem is great that way. Refinery29 called it the Google of vintage shopping and, you know, fine, but I will say I've been using it and it's really, really useful and really cool. We'll be talking about how Gem works, why Lisa loves vintage, and she'll help me debunk some of the myths around vintage and secondhand clothing. For Lisa, vintage is a passion, so I know you're going to love hearing her thoughts. Before that, I'll share a message from listener Annie about her dad, compassion for others, and the importance of just generally caring about things. It's something that's on my mind, and I can't wait to talk to you more about it. But first, let's thank some of the most recent new Patreon supporters. Actually, I have a long list. This is the most recent of the last two months. There are more coming in the next episode. First up is Anna Sachs, a.k.a. The Trash Walker. You might remember her episodes from earlier this year during January. We like to call it Trash Month around here. Um, she's doing so much cool work. Please go follow The Trash Walker on social media if you aren't already. Thank you so much for your support, Anna. I feel really, really honored. 
Next is Joe Lincoln, best name ever, who lives in Australia, one of my dream destinations in a post-pandemic world. And Joe sews a lot of clothes, teaches dance, and works a day job. So I'm super honored that she has time to listen to Clothes Horse. Thanks, Joe. Annika Gomez is an amazing knitter. Seriously, I hope to be half as proficient as her someday. And she's also working on a PhD in marine microbiology. I mean, we've got only the best and brightest over here at the Clothes Horse Patreon. I feel really special, honored, appreciated by all of you. All these rad people who support Clothes Horse, it's really, really cool. Annie Lilly can be found on Instagram as Wild Aspen Grove. And seriously, she is a genius at all things needle and hook related, from knitting to crochet to quilting to embroidery. Thank you so much for your support, Annie. Last but not least, we have Celestina Hudson, another talented fiber artist and weaver who also makes costumes. I think that makes her a triple threat. You can find her work on Instagram as the underscore weft underscore and underscore shed. Thank you so much for your support. If you, yes, you are interested in supporting my work here on Clothes Horse, check out patreon.com slash Clothes Horse podcast. You'll get access to exclusive episodes and some cute swag designed by me and Dustin. Or don't go over there and just keep listening to this episode because I'm glad to have you here. I've been thinking a lot about this whole bad art friend slash kidney gate story social media storm for weeks now. It's really been on my mind. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, I suggest following kidney gate on Twitter or at least checking out their tweets. Or you could listen to Trend Lightly podcasts, recent comprehensive episode about it. I'll link back to that in the show notes. I could do a whole two hour episode about bad art friend, which by the way, began with a New York Times story of that name. And I'm not telling you to go read that story first, although maybe you should, but it's told in a way that feels really unfair and I don't know, just inaccurate. I guess you should read the story. That's how my experience with it began. I'll link to it. Anyway, it's a whole complicated story. Like I said, it would take me hours to unpack it all for you. But one element of it is that a bunch of so-called friends were shitty and mean about another person in their friend circles, another woman's kidney donation. <laughs> yeah, not even a kidney that she was donating to a friend or a family member, which would also be amazing, but an anonymous donation. She literally gave a kidney to a stranger, which is one of the most selfless acts I can imagine. This group of so-called friends proceeded to shit talk her in every possible way, attempt to freeze her out of social and professional events, and ultimately pretty much encouraged another writer to plagiarize a letter she wrote to the last recipient in her donation chain. Because that's the thing. She donated a kidney to a man, and his wife then donated one of her kidneys to a total stranger. And so right there, thanks to her donation, two people got to live free, hopefully, of dialysis and have a long and healthy life. I mean, that's incredible. Anyway, these so-called friends were super just, they were just snarky. They were mean. They were mean, toxic people, all because she was sharing her experience on social media and in general, just sort of hyping the idea of being a living donor, which by the way, 
Organizations involved in living organ donation encourage everyone involved, both donors and recipients, to post and talk about their experience as much as possible. Why? In hopes of getting others to also consider living organ donation. It's a really big deal. We do not have enough organs out there for recipients. This group of friends in quotation marks just could not stop making fun of her commitment to doing something good in the world. They were mean. I've seen the texts. I've seen the emails. Like I said, go check out KidneyGate on Twitter for all of it. This whole thing is wrapped up in tons of classism, bullying, and just sort of a social pile-on. I'm sure you've seen something like this play out in the people around you at some point. It got me feeling a lot of feelings. And I posted about this on Instagram saying like, hey, let's normalize giving a fuck, just caring about things. Let's remember that caring is cool and let's stigmatize making fun of people who loudly and actively care about doing good things. Why would it ever be embarrassing? Why would it ever be shameful to be a good person? I don't know, but real talk, it is to a lot of people. One of the members of our community, Annie, was inspired to share a story about her dad. So let's take a listen. This is my dad's story. His name is Robert Weitzel. He grew up in Bucks County before it was a bedroom play community for New York City and Philadelphia. It's 1930s, early 40s. And he's talking about compassion and empathy. And the discussion started with um, my sister and I and my brother not understanding why he would give money away today to other people when he needs so much because, quite honestly, he's living on a small check, so security-wise. And um, I got to visit with him this summer, and we were talking about, you know, the world's kind of crazy and um, just really, you know, why is everybody so mean? And this discussion really starts about him talking about being on the farm with his siblings and his mother and his father um, is pretty damaged from World War One. He started talking about why, you know, he gives and why he thinks it was always important to give to people who didn't have any more than he did or even had less. Um, and he tells the story of many times that, you know, the breadwinner got hurt or died, um, the funeral would happen, and then the next day or the next week, um, the banker or whoever owned the property would tell whoever was there that they had a week to get out, and there was absolutely nothing they could do. So, you know, friends and family, neighbors would take these people in until they figured out what to do. And um, from this tight-knit community of, you know, not depending on the government, not depending on, you know, just a social safety net that's provided today, they needed each other. <laughs> and, and I find the irony just really crazy that somehow, because you desperately were always dependent on your neighbor and the people you knew in your family, you would be more compassionate. And so by... Um, Somehow people thinking those people, those poor people today are the others and that the government's taking care of them somehow that we don't have to. And my father today even 
if he gets ten dollars to mow someone's yard or twenty five, he'll give it away to someone else. And you know, if I didn't know this backstory, I would think he was a lunatic. <laughs> and even some days, I I do too, even now, because I, I just know, you know, he can't pay his taxes, so the family's now helping him pay the taxes on the house. And um, it just seems sad that because we're not as connected and out of necessity, that we just think the other is taken care of by the government. When really, when do we stop caring? When do we stop being kind because oh, somehow we don't need each other now? So I, I leave you with this story because I just kind of gladdens my heart to, to know that my dad has this compassion deeply from years and years of seeing tragedy. <laughs> um, and uh, I think there's still kindness today. I just think that um, the loudness and the amplification of the dissent and the meanness um, weighs the outweighs the good. So maybe it's time we start telling good stories. There actually is a podcast um, from Freakonomics talking about why is you know Americans so Americans, and um, why is our news so bad and so. I'm leaning towards awfulness rather than the good. First off, I just want to thank you so much, Annie, for taking the time to record this. Next, I'll link to the series on Freakonomics about the individualism of the U.S. and how it's gone awry. Annie refers to it in her message. I haven't listened to it yet, but I was reading the transcripts, and I'm excited to actually give it all a listen. I definitely grew up in an environment where, while everyone was poor, receiving any assistance from the social safety net from the government was stigmatized. It was better to be hungry and sick than take a crumb from the government. I don't, I don't know why, but that that is the reality of the environment I grew up in. And there wasn't, unlike Annie's family, a group of neighbors and other people helping one another out. It was the worst of both worlds, I guess. Like I said, I don't know why this was happening, but I will tell you, for example, at some point in elementary school, my mom stopped getting my kidney medication refilled because it was too expensive for our family to afford. And I'm sure there would have been some sort of government-funded healthcare for a sick kid, but we were, in my mom's eyes and my family's eyes, not that kind of poor people who accepted help. And that's ridiculous, I don't know, maybe you know some people in your life who are like that too. I hate it. And I also hate that so many Americans believe that the government is taking care of people in need and therefore we don't need to help them out otherwise. I'm gonna tell you this, as a person who in my adult life has required some assistance from the social safety net, I mean, first off, I was unemployed for the entire pandemic and I had to collect unemployment. But even before that, you know, if you're new to the podcast, you might not know this, but my child's father died very suddenly a few months before they were born. And it put, it thrust me into a very bad financial situation. I'll tell you this about the social safety net. Imagine it's one of those cold, rainy November days. You know, that November rain that Guns N' Roses was so inspired by. So it's chilly, it's damp, and you have two options for outerwear. A waterproof coat with a hood and a cozy lining, or a trash bag with a head hole cut out of it. You're obviously going to choose the first option, right? 
But the social safety net, and you know what? I'm just going to say I hate saying that phrase because it implies something better than it is. Let's call it government assistance. It's the trash bag with a hole in it. Sure, it's going to keep you kind of dry. Well, not your head or your hair, but it'll keep you a little bit drier than not having it. But it won't keep you warm. It's better than nothing, but it's not enough to keep you well. And that that is the state of the social safety net here in the United States. I know so many of you struggle with it in different ways, whether financially, with healthcare, education, all kinds of things. It's not good. I can't figure out if it's a super American thing to feel embarrassed about caring, to look down on those who care and try to do good things for the world, to look deeply for a dark ulterior motive when there probably isn't one, to feel good and fine saying terrible shit about someone who works hard to do nice things, who is generous, who is kind, who is thoughtful, who is compassionate. I would love to hear from those of you who live in other countries is this an American thing? Is it a human nature thing? A 21st century thing? A generational thing? I don't know. Please advise. (laughs) The bad art friend story struck such a chord with me because I've had that group of friends. I specifically had them in Portland. And when I look back, I realize I, yes, me, Amanda Lee McCarty, was the one they liked to make fun of. They found my earnestness embarrassing, my desire to do good things unbecoming, and my general kindness was just really unacceptable. And I'm sure there were all kinds of layers of classism wrapped up in that because all of them came from, I mean, well, most people come from a higher socioeconomic background than me, but they definitely did. Yet they were also my friends, the kind of friends who secretly think you're gross and embarrassing the ones who will always remind you of your lowest moment when you're feeling triumphant. I told one of my friends that I was finally feeling successful after moving into a director-level role in my career. I mean, I'm just going to say this again. I come from a small town. I had a really bad nightmare childhood. I've had a lot of health problems. I lived in a trailer more of my childhood than not. I just... People like me don't get to go out and have director-level careers in buying. They just they just don't, right? I felt proud that I was getting some success in my career, a career that someone like me generally doesn't get to have. I was telling my friend how I wish that I had a family that would celebrate that, that I wouldn't feel so alone. And my friend said, well, the good news is that you're not successful and you never will be. Yep friends. Well, we're not friends anymore. We're not enemies. I just don't talk to them because I have other things to do. I have things to care about, right? I'm not here to talk about how mean and shitty friends can be, although I'm sure everything I just told you resonates with a lot of you. But instead, I want to talk about the stigma against caring. The idea that caring too much is even possible, that expressing your concern, your passion, your desire to do good things is somehow embarrassing or uncool, that you should keep the work you're doing a secret or something. I'm going to tell you that caring as much as I do publicly can be very hard sometimes. (laughs) 
At my last job, I made it clear that I would not give a dime to Chick-fil-A, and everybody on my team acted like I was just the biggest bummer social justice snowflake, just an unbearable person for not giving my money to a company with an anti-LGBTQ agenda. And you know what? I'm I'm gonna tell you, it got into my head sometimes, and I felt embarrassed. I would ask myself, why why do I care so much when so many people don't? Maybe I'm the problem, not them. In the era of clothes horse, I might work on an Instagram post for four or five hours only to have someone comment that they hate the font or they wish the post were better. I'll work 12 hours on an episode of the podcast only for a stranger to say that they hate the sound of my voice or think I'm stupid. Vegans send me hate mail. Trolls tell me that I don't care enough about white people. It's hard to be out there fighting to make a difference. And I'm sure I know you experience similar things. People making fun of your outfit repeating or your commitment to using less plastic or all of the other information that you share, all the good ideas that you have. I'm sure you've been asked so many times, why do you care so much? You can't make a difference I've been told the same things. And you know what? That whole line of thinking is some bullshit because it prevents us from making actual change. If we can't talk about the things we're doing or thinking about or working on, how can we build a movement around it and make bigger changes? We can't. When we are afraid of people dismissing our work, of shutting it all down with one not-so-nice comment on Instagram, of laughing behind our backs, how do we keep going? How do we not feel compelled to hide our care for the rest of the world? We're facing some major challenges, and essentially a worldwide reboot is required. I mean, we can't give up. One person can't change the world alone, but we can and will make the world better when we work together, when we don't give up, when we support one another. It's hard out there, I know, and we can't quit. That's why I'm here to say, just again, caring is cool. Normalize caring about stuff. I'm here to support all of you when you're losing momentum, when you're feeling worn out, when you're defeated, whatever. Someone sends you a weird comment on Instagram that just ruins your day. I will be there for you. And I hope all of you will be there for me and everyone else in our community. We have to support one another. We have to make not caring super uncool. I'm proud of all of you for doing the hard work, for making uncomfortable changes, for having some really challenging conversations with both yourself and others. We're not going to give up. We're going to grow this movement and we're going to make some serious changes together. I promise that. Stigmatize apathy. Prioritize community over competition. We can do this. We're going to do this. All right. Well, now that we're all riled up, let's get into my conversation with Lisa. Can I, just before we jump in, tell you all of the rad stuff that Lisa has done so far in her life? 
Well, she's the founder of the Gem app. She's been a street style photographer since 2005, and she runs two street style sites at the moment, Hell Looks in Helsinki and NYC Looks in New York. She's also the founder of the first clothing library in Helsinki. She's the writer of several books about Finnish fashion and design, and she's co-curated two exhibitions about Finnish fashion for the Design Museum in Helsinki. I can't think of anyone better to talk about vintage with, so let's jump right in. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everyone? Well, hi everybody, I'm Lisa and I'm the founder of Gem Vintage Search app. Uh, I also work as a street style photographer and my street style blog, it's called NYC Looks. And so you live in New York City. Yeah, that's correct. But uh, you can probably hear an accent. So <laughs> uh, originally I'm from Helsinki, Finland, where I also studied uh, taking the street style photos, but I have been living in New York now, wait a minute, how many years? It's something like four and a half years. And before New York, I also lived in San Francisco for a couple of years. Oh, wow. That's great. So you're getting all the experiences. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you which city is your favorite because I'm sure there are going to be people listening who have really strong opinions and might get upset. <laughs> well, but I can say that. I love them all. So everybody, everyone can be happy. There you go. Yay. <laughs> so Gem app is, it's, it's interesting to me. I have been hearing more and more about it lately. Like we have been talking a lot on Instagram, on the Close Horse podcast Instagram about thrifting and thrifting tips for other people in the community. And multiple people have said like, I use the Gem app because it helps me you know, set notifications for things I want and it saves me time and it makes it so much easier, which is great because there are way too many places at this point to buy vintage or secondhand, but it's really hard to do it efficiently. <laughs> so why did you decide to start the Gem app? Well, I think for those reasons that you just mentioned, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, there is so much great vintage out there, which is that's awesome. But uh, there are so many uh, reselling platforms. There is, of course, Etsy and eBay that we all know. And there are uh, new platforms. And there are also thousands of uh, independent Shopify and other stores. So if you are looking for a specific vintage item, it's very hard to make the decision, decision to like where to even start looking. <laughs> yeah. And it's impossible to check all those thousands of stores and tens of platforms. So that's why we created Gem. And what Gem does is that it brings all online vintage into one search and it helps you to find the items that you are looking for. So instead of opening multiple apps and websites and apps on your laptop, uh, you can just open the Gem app or our website and start looking around. I love that because I think, I mean, I'll say this as a person who's very into vintage and I'm sure I'm not the only person who feels this way. There are times where I'm, you know, just half asleep at night and I think, 
what if that thing I've been looking for for a month is this other place that I'll never find? <laughs> it's like so distressing. <laughs> you know, if you have a really specific aesthetic or a really specific shopping list, it can turn into like Moby Dick with the white whale. You're just like searching and searching and you wonder like, if I don't go to this vintage fair or I don't check this site today or I don't search on Etsy, will I miss my opportunity? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, when I moved to uh, San Francisco from Helsinki, I suddenly discovered so many new online stores selling awesome vintage. And But it, it was impossible to follow them all, even <laughs> on Instagram, uh, because, you know, because of the Instagram algorithm. So I always missed like all the cool items, although mm-hmm. I was like really religiously following them all and liking all their posts, but I still missed everything. So that was also one of the uh, reasons why I was like, oh, there must be a better way of like hunt for items that I really want to and follow follow what, what are the new things that are listed online. Yeah, because it's like it's really exciting that so many people can build their own business, make their own living selling vintage. But what that means is rather than just like going to one place like Amazon and typing in what you want – there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there selling it. And it's always like, how do I find them? And I think, you know, for those of us who are really into vintage and have been for a long time, we have all of our own little tricks and stuff. And Gem App is a part of that. But for someone who's like vintage curious and hasn't really shopped vintage ever, it gets really overwhelming really fast. And I feel like people quit. So how does that app work? Uh, do you mean for a regular user or for a stone owner or both? Both. <laughs> okay. So if you are a regular person looking for a specific vintage item, the way Gem works is that you just type in the thing that you're looking for and you can type in a color or a decade that you love or you can type in your favorite designer or you can figure out like how to describe the item. Uh, maybe it has like specific details that you're looking for, like puff sleeves, for example. And then uh, you type in and then you just hit the key and then Gem shows you all the relevant listings that we can find online. And we try to match uh, the search results as well as as well as possible so that we first show you the most relevant listings and later on... Uh, the less relevant ones. So it's it's pretty simple. And then what about sellers? Do they have to like apply to be a part of it? You know, do they have to pay a fee to be included? So uh, we are currently indexing over 700 independent online stores and we are happy to include and start indexing more. And if you have an online store that and you would like to join Gem, you can just send us an email that say like, hey, I would love to join. Here is a link to my website. And that's it. There is no extra action required from a store owner. And there is no extra cost for store owners either. Uh, so that is also pretty simple and straightforward. And probably uh, there must be someone now wondering like, oh, if there is not an extra cost, how do you guys make money? So <laughs> you, <laughs> you read my mind. I was thinking yeah. that. I was like, so like, is this just volunteer work? <laughs> no, no. Nope. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we do need to make a little bit of money also to cover the costs. And 
to live. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. So our current business model is based on the affiliate programs that some of the big marketplaces, for example, Etsy has. And that's the reason why we are not charging the smaller independent stores at, at all this, at oh, this point. Interesting. So like you make income from say Etsy for like people who click through and purchase something. Is that what that means? Like when you say affiliate? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. That's so smart. I actually love that plan. (laughs) (laughs) So you are a photographer. Um, You are also really into vintage. Did you ever think you would be starting an app? Because that's like a very, very different career path. Oh, well, yeah, I think I've had, I've had uh, all kinds of careers <laughs> in my life, <laughs> but I've always, always loved vintage. I always loved like creating my outfits and I always loved drifting and photography as well. Uh, but what really pushed me to, to being like entrepreneur and launching an app of my own was that's. because of my husband uh, because he has experience in the field. He has worked in tech world for quite some time and he has also uh, worked with one app. It was a movement tracking app uh, called Moves. Some people might remember it. So (laughs) that helps, you know, to have a kind of person in the household. (laughs) What a dream team. (laughs) Yeah, I think we are. I think we are, yes. And also, like, uh, he has more of this, like, entrepreneurial mindset than I I ever had. Now, <laughs> I think now I have it too. But, you know, I didn't have it, like, initially when I was, like, 20 years old. Not at all. I, I never thought that I would uh, launch my own company. But uh, actually, this is not my own first company because oh, wow. I've, I've used, uh, I've, I've worked as a freelance fighter and photographer for, uh, oop, that must be like soon 15 years. It, I don't do that job uh, mm. too much anymore because I don't have time for that. And then I also had a um, clothing uh, library. Ooh, I like the sound of in, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had it for like, I think three years just before uh, I moved to the to San Francisco. So you can say that Gem is already my third company. So I've been I mean, like I think that's cool. <laughs> I've been growing <laughs> slowly. <laughs> so okay, you have your husband who has more of the tech experience. So were you? Did you go to him and you were like, I'd really wish there was an app where we could make vintage shopping easier. Like how? How did you come up with the idea? Well, that's basically how it di- how it worked. Uh, oh, <laughs> I guess I guess I was lucky here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So while while we lived in San Francisco, uh, like I mentioned, I I suddenly just discovered so much vintage and so many new stores, and I was like so happy, but also overwhelmed because I didn't know like how to you know follow them all, and. Uh, and what has always been the, like one thing in my life that I love to visit stores, I love to go drifting, but I don't buy like too much because I have my <laughs> I have my physical limits. You know how much I yeah, can own. Yeah. 
but I would always find like cool things. And I was like, oh my God, somebody needs to save this and give it a new home, <laughs> a new life. And I was always wondering like, oh, would this and this, a friend of mine, you know, would Suvi maybe like this or maybe Sanna would love this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then while I was in San Francisco, I was like, oh, so many great vintage items, so many people potentially looking for this. There must be a better way to connect these two. And first I was like just asking around at my friends and they would tell me that if they were looking for something specific and then I tried to hunt those items for them and I would like message my vintage store owner friends that, hey, do you have anything like this? But then it was just way too complicated. I very soon realized that, oh, oh <laughs> this doesn't work at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What a good friend, though. Man, I wish my friends would do that for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did it for like two weeks and then I realized that I can't do it. Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. And then I was like, there must be, you know, another solution to this first world problem. (laughs) And then I I walked to my husband and I asked that, hey, do you think you could build a search engine? And, well, he loves technical challenges, so he replied, hmm, I guess so. And then we, then we did it. It took a couple of years before we, uh, before really, uh, we really started building Gem because at that point my husband was uh, working for Facebook. Oh, wow. But, but when he left, uh, we devoted all our time to Gem and launched it uh, now bit more than two years ago. I mean, what that is such an amazing story and I hope it's going to inspire a lot of people to literally take, take something that you love and turn it into a business that actually, I mean, you know, it benefits so many people. It benefits all these individuals, these individuals who are trying to make a living selling vintage and it benefits all of us who are, you know, looking to have a more sustainable wardrobe. So it, it's, what an amazing dream come true. <laughs> but I'm sure it wasn't always easy. Like, did you did you face obstacles like getting people involved, getting brands, you know, companies to sign on? Uh, I think all the vintage stores really reacted, like, nicely, and they were happy to jump in. Also because I knew quite many store owners in four, <laughs> because, you know, I always visited their stores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that that's, was not – That's great. That, yeah. I think the biggest challenge with everything is that, especially when you are making something that didn't exist before, when you are like a pioneer in the field, so to say, uh, it's a challenge to get the word out there and also a challenge mm-hmm. to get people understand what you are what you are doing because you know it's gem is not a marketplace but it's a search engine, so it's it's different from Etsy and Depop. So it might take, you know, a couple of uh, seconds before you before you get the idea. It's not like, and I understand it because, yeah, there isn't. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. I think that's a really good call out is that most of the time when you hear of an idea of like this, you assume it's a selling platform. And so it could be confusing. So like, just to be clear for everyone who's listening, you don't actually buy anything from Gem. Like you're buying it from whomever was selling it, you know, um, like you're not, you know, Gem's not providing like the shipping labels and whatnot to the seller. Like, you know, you're just like helping people find things. And, 
you know, in my experience working in retail for a lot of big brands is we always struggled with a good search engine. Like it's kind of the hardest part of the internet is search. Um, and I see that even on Etsy all the time. Their their search uh, algorithm is not very good. Um, it's better than it was, but I feel like Gem is a lot more straightforward. Like I get cleaner search results. So your husband should be really proud. Okay. <laughs> Tell I him that I said that. <laughs> I will tell this <laughs> to him. So it sounds like, you know, shopping vintage and making it more accessible to people is a personal mission to you. Why is vintage so important to you? Oh, there are so many reasons. Okay, maybe I can start with personal reasons. Uh, like I mentioned, yeah. I always love dressing up and just like creating my outfits and, you know, having a colorful, fun wardrobe. It just brings me so much joy. And I think that dressing up can be a kind of form of uh, everyday creativity. It can mm-hmm. make and clothes uh, can just make your life so much life so much happier and fun. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Long before I was thinking a lot about sustainability, I was thinking a lot about how shopping vintage felt more personal and more creative to me than going to a, just a regular store and you know buying something from a huge stack of the same thing, you know? Um, so I've I've really been, like, for me, vintage has been a lifelong passion too. It's just like part of my identity, I guess. How do you think we get more people to understand how magical vintage can be? Because I sometimes worry that people are intimidated by it or think it's dirty or something. Oh. I think there are, because there are going to be, I guess, many reasons why a person has never been drifting or hasn't bought any vintage items before. But I also think that once you find vintage, there is not really a way of turning back. <laughs> because <laughs> there are so many good things about vintage. Like we already mm-hmm. discussed, it's unique. It's so much more easy and more fun and more creative to uh, create your outfits when when it's a mix of vintage and maybe something more new. Also, of course, it's a, more sustainable because the piece that you are buying and wearing it already existed in the world. And you know, we know all the. I guess we all know how harmful the fashion and textile industry can be in the world. So, and you can also save some pennies if you shop secondhand so there are just so many reasons to buy secondhand but then like how to get more people into this <laughs> to realize the joy of vintage and secondhand I think uh yeah it depends on like what are the reasons why someone is not doing it yet uh maybe uh they don't know like where to start because there are mm-hmm. so many stores maybe uh they think it's too expensive for them and there can be like various reasons but I would think that um, and suggest that if you are completely new to vintage and drifting maybe ask a friend who already knows something about drifting and vintage and ask if they could show you around you know share Ah, their tricks and secrets or maybe if you don't have a friend like this maybe just 
<laughs> another friend who could you know start drifting with you because it's so much better if you share the experience and you can learn mm-hmm. from each other and you can discuss the things you know while you're drifting you can show the item to your friend and ask hey what do you think about this and maybe your friend will, will be the one who is like oh i think it's too big for you maybe you should try it on and yeah i love it but have you checked that the seat there are all the buttons are there and things like that uh, so yeah ask a friend that's my first suggestion to to get going i love that because i think for a long time those of us who have been really serious about thrifting and vintage maybe not all of us but a portion of us have always felt that we needed to protect and keep our places where we go a secret and not share our our tips and our strategies and our techniques because somehow I don't know. It's like then someone else would come in and get the things before we could. It's like there's just so much to go around. I think it's really important to remember that. And rather than like thinking of um, thrifting and vintage shopping as this like secret we need to protect to make sure we always have enough instead of thinking like, wow, there's so much stuff and we need to show more and more our people all of our experience and wisdom and skills and secret spots because that's how we enable more people to do it. I don't know if you have any friends who are secretive about like where they get things, but <laughs> well, but I have a I have a funny story how I was like <laughs> not sharing secrets. Uh, this mm-hmm. happened when I was like I was still going to high school. Okay. And, you know, this was before internet. So I saw a little announcement in a local newspaper about this uh, a local community uh, was having uh, a sale of their, like, thrift store. And you could grab any amount <clears throat> of items as long as they all <clears throat> fitted into one plastic bag. Oh, sounds, this sounds like a good deal. I'm excited even though this happened in the past. <laughs> yes, and the price... <laughs> The price of the whole plastic bag was 10 Finnish marks. So this was even before euro. And 10 Finnish marks would be less than two euros now. So wow, basically nothing. But when I saw this announcement in the newspaper, you know, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my friends. (laughs) And, you know, when the school finished, I just grabbed my bike and, you know, biked through the city to the secret location. (laughs) And filled my bag and went back home, like, secretly. <laughs> but how embarrassing, you know, then I, next day when I want to wear my new pieces, my friends would be, of course, asking, like, oh, Lisa, where did you get that cardigan? It's so cool. And then you can't, like, tell, like, where is it from? Because <laughs> you didn't share the secrets in yes, the first place. Ex- exactly. <laughs> we have to share the secrets. Listen, I have totally been a part of that too. When I was in high school, there was a place in town. Well, it was pretty far. I'd have to ride two buses to get there, but they sold clothes by the pound and it was just in mountains and it was 25 cents per pound. So very, very inexpensive. (laughs) Yeah. And I would go there every week, like every Saturday morning, I'd get up very, very early and take these two buses to this place. And I would never tell anyone None. Of, I, all of my other friends were into thrifting and I wouldn't tell any of them because, you know, I was like, I don't want them to get the good things or something. And then, you know, I'm as I'm telling the story, I mean, there's like literally mountains of clothes there. Like 
10 of my friends could have come with me and we still would have had plenty of stuff to go around, you know, and there still would have been mountains of clothing left when we left. But it's just just like, it's just, I think it's a weird human nature thing that we need to like keep it a secret. And I'm hoping that we can all overcome that as we realize that there are mountains of clothes out there for all of us. Yeah, exactly. There will be enough for everyone. And also like so many things are much more fun to experience when you when you share them with someone. I agree. I agree. I like going thrifting with other people. I think it's really fun because often they see things that I don't and vice versa and we find things for one another and it's just generally fun. But if I were going to go to a normal store and go shopping, I'd probably want to go alone. It's like a totally different experience, you know? Um, so I'm going to tell you some things that I hear from people about why they don't wear vintage or secondhand. And I want you to tell me what you would say back to them. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Let's try. Okay. Okay, how about someone who, people who say there are not enough options and I can never find what I want. Well, here we go. That's why we created Gem because <laughs> there are like, like, for example, we are indexing 32 million items at the moment. What? Yes. 32 wow. million items. And that's, and I know that that's only a small part of all used clothing items that there are in the world. Yeah. I know that there are still some platforms missing from Gem because we haven't got permission from them yet, or we don't have like all, let's say like we don't have Japanese eBay, for example, because it's written in Japanese. So we are not there. Maybe we'll have it at some point. So I know that there is much more in the world. So there will be plenty of things for you. <laughs> you just need to know like where to go looking. And But that's why we created Jam, to have like one stop sh- shop or destination where you can do your searches and make the search like more convenient and easy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about people who say you can't have a strong personal style if you wear secondhand and vintage? Well, I totally disagree. <laughs> I mean, me too. <laughs> I, I think that you can't have a pers- strong personal style if you only shop fast fashion because uh, at a certain point of time, only some things are considered fashionable. But mm-hmm. style is a much more wider concept. Like anything can be basically stylish at this mm-hmm. given day. And when you shop vintage, you have basically all kinds of styles available. You have all the decades and all the shapes, colors, prints, anything that, that the world of fashion has known. <laughs> so there is like, there are endless possibilities to create your personal style. And I think like the more like different your style is from any other style that you, that is out there in the street, the stronger it is. And you, you can only do it, do this with vintage. And also like if there wasn't, any secondhand or vintage clothing, I think I would never get any photos for my street style sites. Yes, I would find all the outfits so boring and everyone yeah. would look exactly the same. So who yeah. would I photograph? That's true. It would be, your life would be so different. Oh my God, you know, yes. <laughs> maybe you'd be a nurse or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Whoa. Maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. That would be totally different. But Totally that, different. I was trying to think of what would be the most yeah. different job. Um, okay. What about some people, you know, 
I don't know. Some of us are more sensitive or involved in trends than others. So another thing I hear a lot is like if you shop secondhand, you can never find or wear things that are on trend or, you know, like as we said earlier, in style at the time. I fully disagree again because all the trends go in circles. Mm -hmm. So if you open a contemporary, any fashion magazine, it's full of inspirations taken from the past decades. Like right now, you can see a lot of 70s stuff, uh, 90s stuff, early 2000s. And you can easily pick up any trend that you can see in the fashion magazines or in the fashion press and shop it secondhand. No problem, because the thing already exists. There are like very few things that are so new in the world of fashion that you wouldn't find them secondhand. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, when I was working in fashion as a buyer and doing product development, we would always create new clothes out of old clothes. So we would go vintage shopping for inspiration, buy vintage clothing and be like, let's make this basically, you know, it probably wouldn't be as good because we weren't going to use as as great of like zippers and fabric and whatnot. Like these clothes weren't made to stand the test of time that the original inspiration garment that we used was, you know, it was like we were just making a cheaper version, a less, a lower quality version of amazing vintage stuff. So I, yeah, I think that not only can you like find something that is going to last a lot longer for you and be even more unique, but it builds a personal relationship with your clothes that you might not have if you went and just picked it off of a rack where it's surrounded by duplicates. It just feels special. I mean, for me, I don't know about you. I mean, I have, of course, in my life bought new clothes as well as vintage, and it's all my vintage clothes that I've been holding on to for years and years and years and years, and it's the new clothes that I end up donating or reselling or giving away. But the vintage ones, I'm like, no, that's mine. Don't touch it. You know, that's staying with me forever. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. So exactly the same is actually happening right now. So yesterday uh, I visited, we have a storage unit here in New York and I had too many clothes there. And yesterday (laughs) I went there and I took like almost everything out and I quickly went through them all. And I already made so many decisions, like which items I want to keep and which uh, ones I'm ready to donate. And the ones that I'm going to donate, they are all new items. But if it's vintage, (laughs) it's hard, really definitely harder for me to let go but I guess it's because they are more unique they're more special and somehow I just love them more that's how I feel too even if it's a sweater that I found at the Goodwill that is secondhand and not even necessarily vintage to me it is so unique because I found it and it just was at the right place at the right time. And I tried it on and I was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And it was the only one there. And it was after so many times of searching. And so even if it's, you know, I look inside and it has an H&M tag or something, I'm like, this is still the best sweater. And it's never, it's living with me forever. You know, that's how I, I feel like I just have this different commitment to it. But if I went into a store and there was a whole stack of sweaters that all look the same and I bought one a few months later I'd be like I don't want it anymore it's so interesting how that works yeah I <laughs> know I know what special. you mean <laughs> yeah it's yeah. just so much more special well what is your advice for 
people who are looking to have a more sustainable wardrobe and you know lifestyle as a result of that. Are we talking about like your whole lifestyle also anything else than just clothes? I mean, clothing is a big part of it. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, well, but if we can talk like everything, uh, because, you know, I was thinking about this, like how to uh, get more people maybe try choosing secondhand, choosing used more often. Mm-hmm. Is that the same thing I think applies for like our like eating habits and our clothing habits. So you don't need to go like 100% vintage and secondhand. You can just maybe once in a while, maybe like every fifth garment that you want to have or that you need can be used as a clothing item. Mm-hmm. The same way you can think about your like meals, maybe like you only have meat once a week instead of eating meat every day. Because that makes a huge difference if you want to live a more sustainable life. I or- love that. Yeah, I think it is. It's 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 not like today you have to go upstairs to your closet and take all of your fast fashion clothes and burn them in a pile and then start all over thrifting. Like that's such – I don't know. That's so extreme. And really it's like a little bit turns into more, turns into more when it comes to changing the way you live. Yeah. And if you have some fast fashion items, like you mentioned, the H&M sweater, (laughs) you don't need to get rid of it. Instead, like take good care of the things that you already have. And when you're like, okay, uh, now I need, I would love to have a color red, like more color red or something in my life. Or I need to have a new like summer dress because, you know, whatever. So Go and shop your own wardrobe first because you probably have something there already. But quite often we have like so many clothes that we tend to forget all the things that we already own. Yeah, it's true. Have you ever seen the movie Clueless? Yes, I have, but it was okay. so many years ago. But yeah, I, I know the styles. <laughs> One thing that has stuck with me from that movie that is, has been like a life goal, and I always wonder why the technology still doesn't exist, is the weird computer that she had that would help her pick out outfits from her closet. And like they would spin around and she could like pick the top and the bottom. And I was thinking like, why don't we have that now? Because you know, the average person forgets about so many things that are in their closet and wouldn't it be great if you had an app that was everything you owned and would help you put together outfits every day so you would remember to wear things and you would have a better idea of what you had and it might help you wear things in new ways that you hadn't thought about because you know a lot of us were always like oh that shirt goes with this skirt and that sweater and you always wear it that way you never break them apart but what if you had an app Maybe this can be your next app that you work on. <laughs> Put together new outfits for you. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like there have been apps like that. Oh, maybe it was just in Clueless, but this sounds so familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it would be a great idea. Listen, I would buy that. I, I bet it would be work because you'd have to, like, go in and photograph everything you have. And for those of us who have a lot of clothes, I've been collecting them for a long time. That would be quite a project. But I every once in a while, I'll find something in the back of my closet. And I'm like, my, I, I forgot about you. You know, like you were just all the way back here neglected. And it would be cool if a calendar reminder like popped up on my phone and said, hey, you haven't worn this thing in a long time. Like in 
you know, 97 days or something. And I could be like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. And like pull it out. I don't know. If anybody's listening who knows how to make that app, you should do it. I think it'll be a hit. Yeah. Yeah. I promise <laughs> to download and I prom- promise to leave a review in App Store. <laughs> <laughs> See, you already have two customers and two reviews right here. <laughs> Do you have any other advice or words of wisdom you'd like to share with everyone? Well, one important thing that I think we all should learn how to do is to mend our clothes. Mm -hmm. So if they get, you know, a little bit broken, maybe, you know, the buttons fell off or something. So many things are easy to fix. So it's good to, you know, have those skills and they are very easy to learn also. So... Little uh, things like that are not the reason to throw away the garment. And also, uh, it's not a nice thing to do to donate an item if it's clearly broken or dirty, because then oftentimes the charities are not able to do the mending and fixing part either. So towards the landfill, it goes. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. do take uh, care of your clothing items. Also, think twice before your before you wash your clothes. Uh, I think many people, we tend to uh, wash our clothes too often. Of course, like sports clothes, underwear, that's a different story. But if it's something else, you really don't need to wash it after every use. Really, really not. And jeans, oh my God, you can just put them in a freezer and they are like fresh when you take them out. <laughs> and and cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sounds nice thinking about the weather right now in New York. (laughs) It does. It does sound nice. Yeah, it's really gross here in Pennsylvania today too. You know, one thing I wanted to add, um, because I read some statistics last year that were very upsetting. They were basically like, in summary, like a majority of people will throw out a shirt if a button falls off or it has a hole. And I I got really, really upset because fixing a button is actually really, really easy. Uh, I think it's because... Most people don't have some basic sewing supplies in their homes. And I think it's a really great idea to have needles, to have a few neutral colors of thread, some nice scissors, some safety pins, you know, and keep them somewhere really accessible. Like even when I travel, I carry a little kit with me just in case, you know, buttons fall off, things break. You know, mm-hmm. you get caught. I get caught on fences a lot and things <laughs> like that. Or my dress is always caught in the car door, you know. So I am like always like, you know, fixing things. And I think maybe one of the reasons that often these things get tossed aside is because it's not convenient to fix them in the, in the first place because you're not prepared to do it. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. Because like right now in New York, I don't have a sewing kit with me and I can tell you I would need it <laughs> quite often. And also if you have any spare buttons, spare them, you know, keep them because you might need them mm-hmm. if you lose a button from your shirt. It's true. A lot of clothes will come with that spare button and I think most of them go in the trash, which is not the point of them. You're supposed to save them <laughs> for yes. when you lose one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, get a little, you know, extra I don't know, like a bin where you can put them all so you know where it is and they will be all, you know, where where your sewing supplies are. Keep them in the same spot so they are easy to find when you need them. 
Yeah. And these sewing supplies are really inexpensive. Just have them. It's like first aid, but for your clothing. Mm. You know, I hope you have Band-Aids at your house too. I mean, I have definitely not had Band-Aids at my house at certain times, (laughs) but (laughs) I try to make sure I have all the first aid things now. (laughs) Yeah. That's a cool thing. Like how sounds so cute to have a first aid kit for your clothes. It does. Mm. Did we just invent something cute right now? I yeah. think we did. <laughs> we oh. also came up with an app. So we're really having like a meeting oh of the God. minds over here, yeah. like a think I, tank. Yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> sounds like a business idea. Somebody should start <laughs> selling those face, first aid kits. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lisa. This was so fun. You're my first guest from Finland too. So it makes me feel really international. Whoa. <laughs> maybe <laughs> someday you can have someone from Marimekko because I think oh, that's dream. the most famous design company that we have in Finland. And what's interesting is that they just uh, this week, no, last week, launched their uh, own vintage collection online. But of course, everything sold out like in 10 minutes. So there's <sighs> nothing left, but, but they promised to do more rounds and hopefully we'll get something uh, happening in for like for the US too. So we we who live yeah. here can shop vintage Marimekko on their website I soon. S- I saw one of their Instagram posts for that collection and one of the dresses had a strawberry print and I was just like, I want that dress right now. You know, like it was so perfect. Oh, I love vintage Marimekko. It's so beautiful. That's a great brand to export from your country like you should be really proud well i am i am (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me thank you so much for having me and yeah this was so much fun Thank you again to Lisa for taking the time to talk to me. I am so excited for all of you to run out there and try Gem. I can't recommend it enough. I've been using it to find things lately. And every time I'm just like, where have you been all my life? You're saving me so much time. You can find out more at gem.app. Don't worry. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. That's the easiest way to download the app. You can also find it on the App Store on your iPhone or on Google Play, and that's worldwide. Um, Since I talked to Lisa, she's added location filters on Gem, so you, you can now filter the search results by country and our continent, so make it even more focused and efficient. And of course, if you're a seller, I know we have a lot in our community, please go to gem.app slash four stores, linking to that in the show notes, to learn more about adding yourself to the database. I also just wanted to add that I brought up Lisa being a nurse in a world without vintage because I have thought so many times in my life about going to nursing school. I just love taking care of people, of doing good things in the world. But that said, I think I'm way too emotionally squishy for it, and I would probably just cry all the time. So I know we've got some nurses and some other health professionals in our community, and I just wanted to say, I don't know how you all do it, but I'm so grateful for you. All right, well, I feel like I've talked so much, so I'm going to wrap this episode up. Just a reminder that I'm doing a cool series about hashtag slow gifting over on Instagram. It's called the 12 Days of Slow Gifting. 
man, I wish we could set that to music. Anyone want to do that for us? <laughs> anyway, it's 12 days of slow gifting. It's really spread out over 20 days because I'm charged around here and I can do what I want. Uh, but please check it out. And I want to remind all of you that we need to do everything we can to support the small businesses in our community, especially right now with Instagram and everything else going on in the world. For the next two months, I'm going to be sharing cool small businesses in Instagram stories every day, along with secondhand and small biz gift ideas for all of you. And I hope all of you will consider doing the same. I'll also be featuring small businesses on the remaining podcast episodes of this year. You know, I'll, I've said it before, and I'm just going to say it again. Our future depends on small businesses and dismantling big businesses. So let's work together to support all of the makers, sellers, and small brands in our community. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse, written, researched, hosted, and edited by me, Amanda Lee McCarty, with a little help from this blanket that's currently wrapped around my legs. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, maybe consider subscribing, and of course, tell your friends. Thanks, as always, to my other half, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. Bye. 